Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. Caleb, we are getting closer. Did you did you know if the, if the groundhog saw its shadow last week? I have no idea. If the Neither did I. I haven't. I need to know. Uh, somebody at me about that. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't pay attention to that. Neither stuff. do I, but like I need to know because it snowed a crap ton. It did in Ohio, and we're currently freezing right now. So if you're not in Ohio... You're lucky. You're lucky. If you're from Florida, don't even talk to me. Or anywhere warm. We have a great episode for you today. Today we are talking with Joy Beth Smith, who recently came out with a book called Party of One. It actually came out last week. Great book. Excited for this. Uh, Party of One, like what's the whole deal with that? Well, it's this book about singleness um and she writes it from the perspective of a single woman uh but it's a phenomenal book that talks about singleness i think um that applies really to everybody um and it's a super fun read uh she she just it's she's super fun to to talk with and then like reading her is exactly how she talks and so she it's, it's a fun read it's a fast read like you're gonna read you're just gonna blow through this thing it's that much fun yep and we're gonna jump into that conversation in just a couple of minutes but before that, we want to introduce to you our new resource of the week. Learner's Corner approved. Yep. And so, Todd, <laughs> I have a great resource for you this week. I can't wait for this. You know, recently... I actually don't know what it is. He won't tell me. Recently, I went to um, something that uh, most of you know that I work for a church. I work for a church called New Point Community Church. And recently, we put on something called a parent summit called It's Just a Face. And we brought in um, renowned speaker Kristen Ivey, who a few years ago kind of led the project of understanding kids and teenagers and how they work developmentally, how they grow emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, just all of that stuff. There's a book that they came out with called It's Just a Face. Yeah, and it's it's an incredible read. That'll be in the show notes for you to grab. It will be in the show notes. But what I want to recommend is because it's it's so much more than just the book. I want to recommend um, the website justaphase.com because there's so many resources on there. There's the book that kind of outlines everything. Then there's things that go into specific detail of kids who have just been born, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, all the way up through um, seniors and sophomores and all of that in high school. And the website has tons of like extra resources on it for things that you can do. Um, it's a, it'll be a great place for you to go. He didn't tell me about this, but I just know. He didn't tell me ahead of time, but I do, I do just kind of know about this this thing. So that website is a life hack. If you're, you don't even have to be in ministry. If you're a parent, this is going to be a phenomenal resource for you. Yeah. So most of you know that Todd and I were um, pastors and we're nerds we, and we work with kids and work with students. And so if you're a kid or a student pastor, or I would just say, if you are involved in the lives of any, if you're a kid influencer and that means if you are birth, a student if you, kid influencer, though, it goes birth through 12th grade, man. I mean, Hey, if you're a kid influencer, if you're a student influencer that this is the, you need, this to, is the thing. Go do it for you. Pick it up. It literally changes the way that you will think about these things. One of the cool things that I love about this research is that Kristen talks about um, how every phase is going through a through going through a crisis because everything that they're going through cul- mm. kind of culminates into 
one thing. And so each phase has a specific question that they're trying to ask. And so I just want to give you like a couple of examples. Ooh, we're getting we're getting this. the word brought yeah. right now. Oh. So like one of the things, one of the questions that ninth graders are asking is the crisis they're wrestling with is where do I belong right now? Mm. Sixth graders are asking the question, who do I like and who likes me? Three-year-olds and four-year-olds, they're asking the question, am I okay? Am I good? Kindergartners, do I have your attention? And really, I love that she kind of, she brings the problem to us and then she brings the solution as well. And so that's our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Again, you can check it out at justaphase.com or in our show notes. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're talking with Joy Beth Smith, and we're going to have a great conversation with her about singleness because this isn't a conversation that typically happens too often. And so without further ado, we're going to jump into our conversation with Joy Beth. Well, Joy Beth, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Joy Beth, did you bring your party of one? I brought my party and my party hat. I brought a kazoo. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, you recently wrote a book called Party of One, and we're just wondering, you know, as we get started, what made you want to write this book? Well, I felt like there were a lot of not great books out there. I'm not going to name names because I'm not that person. But I felt like there were a lot of um, dating books, which is really different from a book on singleness. Party of One is a book on singleness. And so while dating is a part of singleness, I felt like there was more to be said about dating as a whole. Uh, so I felt that it needed more attention. And I felt also that there were a bunch of lies that the church was telling about singleness that really just needed to be dissected and dismantled one by one. So each chapter is just a different lie um, that I personally have kind of like worked my way through and am struggling through and the girls around me are struggling through. And so we, I just kind of felt like there was, there was a time and a place right now in this culture um, to take a look at those really intentionally and dive into them and kind of say, you know what, I feel like the church owes us um, a, a chance to to right this wrong and to kind of correct the culture that they're permeating right now. You know, I think another thing that is true is that, you know, people often associate like a ton of challenges and just like with every season of life, there are challenges with stuff. What would you say are some of the unique challenges that come with just singleness? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, all of the tissues you have to buy when you're crying. I'm just kidding. Um, but ice cream <laughs> the ice cream bills. Um, yeah. But I think that there are like the practical things that you have a lot of things that you can't do by yourself. You know, if your car breaks down, all of a sudden you are in the place where you're like, am I going to call someone from the church? Am I going to call if you have family in town? You know, if your window breaks, um, you have to figure out all of the things by yourself. So big decision making you have to make on your own. Am I going to buy a house by myself? Am I going to do this by myself? Um, all of those big practical decisions and problems you have to deal with independently, which is a, a huge burden. Um, and then there are also like the emotional issues, I guess, where you deal with like really deep loneliness and you have a desire for someone and you have a desire for sex and you have a desire for someone to find you worthy of spending the rest of their life with. Um, and every person that you date who decides not to date you, it, that's sort of a constant stream of rejection. 
Um, so those are things that you kind of carry with you and are dealing with in, in your singleness for years and years and years. And it's just kind of a compounding emotional problem. Um, and dating is just kind of this, its own awful, horrible thing. So the older I get, I feel like it's also harder to be at family functions when you're single because you're either with the kids who are the only ones who don't ask you about dating and childbearing or you're you're with your family and you kind of are isolated in that so it's weird yeah it definitely is i mean especially with uh myself being a single person right now and todd, oh, let's at talk least about it. todd at least as far as i know unless he hasn't updated me on anything is also a single person right now well you know it varies week to week it depends on <laughs> it depends on the way the wind blows <laughs> Well, and you guys are single guys, which I feel like is really different. I don't. I won't say really different. I. I don't. I've never been a single man, but I would say that it's probably different than being a single woman because uh, I always feel like my singleness is really dependent on male action. Um, oh, that's interesting. That I. Yeah, because I have to wait until a man. You know, this is ridiculous and totally kind of hyperbolic, but I have to wait until a man finds me like worthy of pursuing, um, you know, to come to come and get it. So I but for men, I'm always like, if you're a single guy, then I'm like, why are you still single if you don't want to be? You know, like that's within your realm of control to change. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not within my realm of control to to change at all. They they all run screaming from me. It's unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. I don't want to talk about it. Hey, this is in counseling. That's what you're talking emotional about. right now. Hey, Joy Beth, I was just wondering, do you do you have any idea why that stigma tends to be around women instead of men whenever it comes to singleness? The the like the helplessness, or almost like the like the um like the stigma of what you were taught. I mean, at least from um. From, and if I'm wrong on this, feel free to correct me. But at least from my experience and kind of what I've seen is that there almost needs, seems to be like a greater stigma or like pressure on women to be, you know, to get married and everything than there is on men. And yeah, I think part of it is childbearing. I mean, there's like a biological clock, literally, you know, like ticking away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as my mother will remind you, that's that's a need. Um, and so I think that's one of them. I think another one is that men are tending to date younger. Like that's still a statistic that's true, even in the church. And so for whatever reason, I think that they just get away with it for so much longer. So like, even if you're a 35 year old, you know, and you end up dating a, a 25 year old, it's sort of like, oh, all of those years that you spent single as a man, they just sort of are like erased. Like no one remembers them and it's fine. And it just took you a little longer to grow up and you know, that 25-year-old just, like, wrapped up because she got this older guy. Um, but for women, I feel like there is this, like, aging spinster stereotype because we just are continually found to be, like, lacking or undesirable in some way, even though what we're doing is continuing to, like, achieve, you know, like, we went and got a master's degree, and then we went, you know, like, are continuing to, like, excel in our careers. Um, more women are getting master's degrees and higher ed degrees at this point than men are, and yet we're still there's still this you're right there is a stigma and a stereotype that's being perpetuated that's completely unfair i'm curious because there seems to be also this thing where you know you, you kind of said it where you know women uh, there's this st- there's stereotype but they're not allowed to go out and fix it they have to wait on dudes to do that 
Yeah. Why? And it, right. And I, that is such a ridiculous leftover thing in the church. Do you want to talk and about I, it? Yes, I do. I do want to talk about it. And I'll pay you, like, a therapy copay at the end of this. But I feel like there is this leftover thing of, like, male pursuit. You know, like, even, even my egalitarian friends who, you know, will claim themselves to be feminists. And I mean, that would be, I would, I would probably fall in that camp. I don't, I'm yeah, somewhere around there. But even, even though that's me, you still want a version of like initial, initial pursuit and definitely reciprocation. And so you kind of are in this place where you're like, I just want a guy to like, you know, see me and like me and want to come and be with me. And so it is this issue of like, well, where does that even happen? You know, and it's not happening in our churches. Like guys, guys aren't asking women out in the church. That's, you know, like just not happening. And so then you're just kind of left going, am I going to go to a bar to try and find a great Christian guy to ask me out? Or I guess maybe I'll go online. So lots of women are going online, but still it's only like 36%. Or I guess I'll just sit around and wait and see if it happens because otherwise you're not going to approach a strange man in a coffee shop and say, hey, I really like the look of that NIV Bible. <laughs> so I would I have to say, though, if somebody complimented me on my Bible, I may propose right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> You've got a good-looking beard and an even better Bible. Let's go. <laughs> I, I just don't know. So it feels, it feels like, you know, there's nothing really happening, like, in the relationship, like, in friendships and relationships. And so you either have to be so bold as to strike up something – from nothing, you know, or you, you know, do the online thing, or you just, you know, sit as, sit and wait patiently. We've talked a lot about, you know, the challenges. What are the benefits to being single, though? Um, um, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I think there are lots. I think that there's a lot of, like, financial and, and, like time independence, you know, I get to spend my money and my time however I want. Um, so if I want to go on a vacation, that's maybe a little frivolous or to buy shoes that are maybe a little too expensive. Uh, I get to do those things and I don't have to clear it with anybody. Um, I think I also get to like love people pretty recklessly. Um, so like, for instance, a friend of mine has two foster babies and, you know, I can leave work on a Friday um, and go and see her and not get back until 3 a.m., you know, on Monday morning and then go into work. Like, I can do those things without having to consider a family. And I think that's, I mean, it's a privilege. It's a, it's like a single person privilege um, that you wouldn't have if you were married and especially if you had kids. Uh, and I think the same thing with like chasing dreams for um, your career. Or for, you know, like moving around the country with your family or something like that. Like, those are things that you wouldn't get to do, you know, taking a promotion overseas or, you know, getting to write, like writing my book. I had to write every day, you know, for a couple of hours every day. And it was one of those things where I was like, I wouldn't really get to do this if I was in a relationship or if I had a husband. I would be neglecting a lot. So I was really grateful that I was, I didn't have to do that in order to also pursue this thing that I was passionate about. So I think there are definitely, definitely benefits. Do they outweigh everything else? 
you also don't have to fight over what what next what's the next show you're gonna watch on on uh, Netflix. Well, I mean, that just feels like it would be a deal breaker before you even started, right? Well, of course, you have to screen that out first, like right. And then <laughs> before you even get there, it's you have to ask the question: Hulu or Netflix? And that's even more controversial. And maybe, and you see, then maybe you're just are one of the both. Like you, you, you know, you marry in a Hulu to a Netflix, and then you, and then you have both in a marriage. And I suppose people make that work. I guess they just would have to. But um, <laughs> anyways, back to the actual conversation. Um, so you talk about this idea that singleness isn't only meant to be a season to prepare you for marriage. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Even it's funny that you were asking me that as a single person because I'm like such a wildly insulting question. <laughs> right? Like, of course, it's, it's, of course it's not meant to be a, a preparation for marriage. It would be like marriage preparing you for children. You know, like they're, they're, no one would ever say that your marriage is supposed to prepare you for like having kids. Um, but, and yet we say that about singleness. It is, it is a time, you know, we can never, we never know what God has uh, for us. And I would say that like this stage where we are in life is so valid and valuable that to say that it is only, um, it's only given value by preparing me quote unquote for something that's coming later undermines what I'm doing right now. And, and that's so, that's so sad because I'm doing so much right now, you know, and it's like, I am loving my neighbors and I am volunteering and I'm writing a book and I am doing all of these really awesome things that I'm so proud of. And, and it's, it's so sad to me that people can feel like this time is only as valuable as it is spent making them better wives as or, or husbands, you know, and it's like, that is such a, a loss for, for it's, uh, sorry. It's such a loss for what they're doing right now. And it's such a loss of purpose. It's such a loss of purpose for what they're doing right now. Like they could be given so much more direction and I don't know. Yeah, purpose. I don't know. I, I just I want everyone to feel empowered to live like they aren't getting married because in reality you might not. Which is interesting. I actually uh, so later on I don't know I don't know exactly where this is in the book, but you talk about the passage um, in uh, Corinthians. I forget which one it is where Paul's talking about being single and how it's preferable, which is mm -hmm. actually so interesting that we've kind of got. We, as the kids say, we've got that twisted. I don't know if kids <laughs> say that anymore or not, but in my mind they do. So just off of that question then, why do people then tend to view marriage as greater than singleness? Like why is there this incongruence? Because I think that, that oftentimes you're right. Like it's devalued and it's looked upon as as this this other category. So so why is it the marriage is, is viewed as, as greater? Yeah, I think that's a mix of normative experience. You know, it's a, it's like by far the larger percentage of people in the church, even though it might not be the larger percentage of people in culture. And when it's normative, it's it's easier to value it, you know. And it's I think there are like easier milestones to mark 
with marriage, you know, like you get married and that's significant and you have babies and that's significant and that those, those quote unquote joys are easier to spot. And so it's easier to say like, this is a greater experience than singleness because in singleness, like nothing appears to change, you know, like you you almost appear to be like stagnant. Um, and in reality, of course, that's not true at all. In singleness, you have like lots of fluctuation and lots of changes and lots of growth, hopefully. Um, but I think in marriage, what you what you what you think you see is that there's like lots of growth, but in singleness, there's not because in marriage you have these big milestones, and in singleness you don't. Um, and I think that that's just a really sad. It's a sad view of marriage that, like, these milestones equal growth because, of course, we know that that's not always the case. And it's a sad view of singleness that because we don't have these typical milestones, therefore, we're not experiencing the same growth and deserving of the same celebration that uh, married people have. It might also be indicative of, of just the high divorce rates that we see, too, that that is something that people view it as. I'd be yes. interested to see that. I think that would be interesting. Yes, and Laura, um, Laura Ferguson on Twitter does this amazing rant a few times a year where she goes on about how uh, people talk about how refining marriage is for you. Like people in the church, they talk about how like great marriage is for you and how sanctifying marriage is for you, and they encourage marriage for that reason. And uh, and she doesn't. And then she's like, in reality, you can be 29 and married. You know, you could have gotten married at 22. And you can now be 29 and you can be at the same level of sanctification as someone who is single in 29. And it's not that marriage was the thing that's like your marriage may have sanctified you, but that is because you needed sanctification. Just like the person who was 29 needed sanctification and found it through community and found it through going to church and found it through doing big brother, big sister, you know, like we all can be sanctified in a million different ways. And it's great if your marriage did that for you. But also, you could be in a marriage that's not doing it for you. And I can be single and be sanctified in ways that's not being done through a marriage. And I think that the point is just that you can be – there's so much growth that can happen inside or outside of a marriage. And I hope that you are taking advantage of the the growth in your marriage. But if you're not, that's really sad. And also, just because I'm not in a marriage doesn't mean that growth and sanctification isn't happening in my life. You know, just, I mean, you've kind of addressed this uh, a little bit already, but, you know, why should marriage not be the ultimate goal in life? Oh, man. I really love the Westminster Catechism here, um, where it says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, I, I want it to be like my next tattoo in some really obvious place where I can just flash it to people who ask me inappropriate questions about, yeah. Um but I think that that's, you know, man's chief end is not to get married and have babies. And man's chief end isn't to protect his family. And man's chief end isn't to, you know, enjoy his family and be with his family and procreate and be fruitful and multiply. You know, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think that that, for me, um, is a really beautiful sentiment of that. If that looks like singleness, then it's singleness. And you know, there's something to be said for God being glorified in my singleness that I don't even want, you know, but if that looks like marriage, praise Jesus, I'll take it and, uh, you know, let it be. But I think that there's, 
we have to kind of reorient ourselves that marriage is not the goal here. Like we are not racing towards marriage. We are racing towards the glory of God. And, you know, it is, it is great if that is achieved through marriage, but at the end of the day, that's just not, that shouldn't be what our sights are set on. And you said something interesting in the book as well. I think it was towards the beginning where you said um, that if a person, you know, you were talking about, how you know what God's best for somebody is, and God's best for somebody might not be a relationship; it might be being single. Um, and and I, that really stuck out to me, just because you know it, it kind of does highlight how you know it, it it ultimately is what God wants for our life, and God's best might not actually include you know God something that's lesser than could include a relationship. So that I thought that was an interesting thing you said in the book. It was it was a quote uh, that was derived from a quote from. Someone who I can't remember right now. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't do that to you. No, it's okay. And uh, her name is Paige, and I cannot remember her last name, but I'll look it up and we'll I'll send it if to you. If I got her last name, go buy the book. Yeah, <laughs> it's a teaser. <laughs> and um, yeah. but she does. She talks about this really beautiful idea of like God's goodness, um, and it being like God cannot shortchange his children. That's her direct quote. Is that God cannot shortchange his children, and that like what you have now is his best for you um so if you're single right now that means that that's his best for you and if you're married right now that means that that's his best for you and so for whatever reason like me being single right now despite longing for marriage is god's best for me and to wrap my head around that and and it would be the same thing for you know someone who is infertile um but longs for children you know that that for whatever reason that is god's best for you and that is his goodness his goodness is seen in you know, your infertility and his goodness is seen in me still being single and his goodness is seen in someone who's 49 and is still single. And that's really, really, really difficult for me to understand. Um, but there are lots of parts about Jesus and that are really difficult for me to understand. Uh, but I have to, you know, that's where you're like, okay, uh, act of faith. Here we go. Like, I have to believe that that's true. So you do it every day, even if it's a choice, <laughs> instead of something that feels good to believe. You know, as I was reading your book, one of the things that stood out to me as I was reading kind of the section to where you address a lot of uh, a lot of like the sex topics and everything. One thing that made one question that it made me think of is that, you know, it's almost feels like the church tries to set or to separate women from their sexuality and it's almost like okay for men to, and so I was just wondering, you know, why, why do you think that is that the church tries to separate, you know, women from their sexuality, but you know, they don't do so for men and theirs. Yeah. I will preface this with, I am absolutely not an expert. And so any ideas I have are just like, Oh, this sounds, this sounds good. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, I think it definitely is pretty puritanical in the roots. Um, and even, I think, I feel like I remember all the way back in like, you know, like Shakespeare's time, the men were allowed to be pretty deviant in their sexuality while the women were still expected to be pretty um, reserved and demure in theirs. So I feel like there's a tradition of female sexuality being pretty repressed while male sexuality is given some free reign. So I feel like there's a tradition to uphold. I also wonder... Um, if it has to do with the idea that male sexuality due to like 
natural wiring could never really be separated while female sexuality like there's like a natural um due to the wiring it feels like you could almost repress female sexuality like like there is like a like a oh we might be able to put this in pandora's box and put it to the side and let it fester there for a bit um and keep it quiet and like sit on it and it'll be okay and we'll just marry them off at 22 and that'll solve the problem um of course it doesn't that doesn't solve anything but i think that maybe they thought that like female sexuality was easier to handle and easier to um tease out and it was it was a quieter like meeker version of sexuality and so it would be easier to kind of put in a box and and, and keep quiet it, it wasn't like a peter pan shadow you know that was like unruly it was like a you know like it's just a smaller quieter shadow so if i had to guess that's what i would say and the interesting thing, the, the interesting with that though too is I've read studies where um, within the church, men within the church, because of because of you know a lot of expectations and things I guess put on, uh, especially just Christians, it could be men, male or female, but particularly males, it's led to a heightened um, addiction to pornography within the church. It's so it's so weird because we tell people um, you know to hide this part of their life, and then they do, and then it turns into something even worse. Yeah, and, and then we condemn it. And then we can, and then we yes. condemn it. So there, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I totally believe it. And um, and especially with the female sexuality stuff, in in talking about it for the book, it was one of those things where some of the like my crazy friends who didn't weren't raised in purity culture, they were kind of like, oh yeah, that weird thing, like that weird sexual thing. I guess I've kind of heard of that. And then it was my friends who were raised in purity culture, where once we got talking about it that's where a lot of the like much darker discussions and much darker confessions really came out. And I do think it's what you're talking about, which is that, you know, there's, it, it's in darkness that these things breed. Um, and it's in like the repression and in kind of like trying to so tightly control something that you really give it exactly what it needs to take control and to just spawn and, just take over it's disgusting so that was a horrible lesson for us yeah and, and i think you know kind of the the dissociation that the church has made between women and sexuality has has led to you know topics like pornography and masturbation and everything like that to almost be viewed only as a male issue but you know if you look at the research behind it you know that it's almost just as prevalent in women and so, you know, why is it dangerous to think in these terms that, you know, that pornography, masturbation, anything sexual that we consider a sin, it only seems to be a male issue. Why is it dangerous to think that way? It is. It is so dangerous. It is so dangerous. Everybody listening, it is so dangerous because I think that, first of all, Female sexuality is so complicated, and especially because, especially in the church, where the, I mean, the entire concept of female sexuality is new. Like, for your pastor to say female sexuality from the pulpit would be shocking, much less something like female masturbation. And I I feel like I was raised on sermons about male porn use and male masturbation, but never was there any discussion that this was a female issue as well. And so growing up, um, 
you know, I, I had my first exposure to porn use is, I mean, I was way younger than 14. And so statistically that's accurate for my generation because we were like in the advent of AOL and, um, and there was a huge addiction to porn for young girls of my generation, which is terrifying. And so many of us didn't know. We didn't know that everyone, like, it's like we would look around the classroom and no one knew that we were each struggling with this huge thing. And I think that this is so scary because if we don't know, if we don't even know that we're entitled to have female sexuality, then how on earth are how on earth can we discuss female porn use and how on earth can we discuss female masturbation and how can we discuss any kind of sexual sin when there's so much shame surrounding the topic when the only accountability group at the church is a male accountability group hmm. i mean when the bible studies you would never in your life bring this to a bible study and talk about it uh for accountability so i think that it is vital vital to the health of the church that this is brought into the light and that it is openly discussed without shame and that women can bring this and air it and talk about it frankly and openly and honestly and that it can be something that is just as openly discussed as male porn use and male masturbation and all of the things because we don't even have language for it like there there are questions that i'm like i don't even i don't even know what that is i don't know because we don't even have the same language and there there are conversations that men have been having for decades that women don't even know how to have because we are still struggling with it so that is something that i'm just so super passionate about i will get off my soapbox now but it it is something where i'm like this is it is it is eroding us from the inside and we we have to stop it and it would be so easy for us to but we have we have to stop it now well, Joy Beth, I'm going to ask you actually to get back on your soapbox or to stay on it because here's my question, <laughs> which is how can we begin to have healthy conversations centering around these topics with women as well? Like how can how can change begin to occur? Well, I know, right? How can, I know. How can change begin to occur? I think that – yeah, I think – so, I mean, I, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. Um if you're talking to pastors, I think that it begins, you know, like you can start it from the pulpit. Um, I think that there's a place in your three marriage series that you have a year, you know, to dedicate a thing to sexuality and to talk about, you know, like this, like not just about female sexuality, but talk about like sexuality as a whole. And like, when we talk about sexuality, what does that mean? And what does it look like? And, you know, like the implications of, male porn use and female porn use and you know masturbation and all of the things i think that like there there's a need to be frank um and and maybe that's in adult bible studies or in adult small groups more so than from the pulpit i don't know but i think that there is um or, or marriage conferences i guess whatever um i think that there's something to be said for leadership addressing it directly head-on um and not beating around the bush i think that there is for women i think that we have to feel emboldened um and i think that begins with like those conversations where you avoid each other's eyes and just that, like you know like kind of whisper it and like just just kind of like oh yeah you too uh-huh 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 okay bye um 
and then and then that kind of grows into something where you can have like confidence and like have eye contact and like you know stop telling stories about like your friend who and it's actually you and now you're telling your story and and I think that comes with time um maybe creating safe spaces oh maybe creating programming in the church like like um not just like a celebrate recovery but even maybe even something more specific I don't know I think it would be really fun to have um something specifically for women for like women in sexuality and like for this like safe spaces women sexuality and especially in light of me too and church too it really feels like a great time to have that conversation and for the church to be leading the way one of the interesting things i think that comes just from from what i hear you say is um there's this there's this awkward thing that women have amongst other women where it in in a lot of cases it's even more uncomfortable to talk about it in front of other women because of this this judgmental thing that's going to happen whereas um you know they may be more comfortable talking around about it around men i don't know if that's true or not but what can women do um when they're amongst each other to to begin to to make this something that's more um helpful or or they can begin to use use community um in that way to be able to talk about it what what can women do um when they're with other women like to yeah. be able to to be able to facilitate that conversation sure so i would say uh, a few things i would say one um it takes what is it it takes like three seconds of bravery in that moment to like change the course of friendships and conversations completely you know so all you really need to do, and if you were an instigator in friendships, um, I'm a potster by nature, not that you guys can tell, um, but I'm a potster by nature. And it's in so many times I've, I've had these moments where it's like, I just have to be brave, like just really quick. And, and it might actually have some like lasting uh, ramifications. And sometimes those were good ramifications and sometimes they were bad. Um, but it was so refreshing that it wasn't, it's not like long-term bravery. It's like just this little blip of bravery that could really change the trajectory. Um, and I think that we're ready for that. I think that women are ready to have like those, that just that little bit. So I, I would encourage them to, to be encouraged that you don't have to be like long-term brave, just like a little blip of brave. And then also to be prepared maybe with questions, you know, like, um, you don't have to memorize them or practice them in the bathroom mirror or anything, but I think it helps just to have like, your like, how am I going to start this conversation? Okay. Maybe with like, Hey, remember that time that we talked about blank? What did you mean when you said blank, you know, or whatever, whatever that opening dialogue is going to be, or like, Hey guys, I invited you here to a Tupperware party. It's not really a Tupperware party. I want to talk about <laughs> masturbation, you know? <laughs> whatever whatever your segue is going to be i think it would be really good for you to for you to have it you know and to know what that line is and so that way when you have your like three seconds of bravery you're not like hemming and hawing you know like you can just like spit it out and then sit down and like pick a person who you're gonna like like okay you go i don't know this is just i'm just spitballing but this <laughs> This is what I'm coming up with because I think that it helps to have that, you know, like a firm, almost like a firm ask of, the, of what you're going in with of this is this is kind of what I'm coming to you with that I want to that I want to build, you know, take our relationship to the next level with. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe not. <laughs> you know, kind of switching gears a little bit. Another thing that you talk about 
um, in your book was how women could sometimes be viewed as too intimidating, especially women with strong personalities. Why do you think women can sometimes be viewed that way as intimidating? Sure. I, you know, I know it's shocking to that strong personalities. I would have experienced this, but um, I do think that there is, especially in the church, there is this carryover of uh, a generation of men who kind of, uh, this is totally sweeping generalizations, by the way, you are two single guys and you can, you can just beep in and be like, that's not accurate. <laughs> so I just do me, girl. That's all I do. I do me. <laughs> Um, but I do think there is a carryover of a men who want the like um, meek and, and demure and, and pliable wife who maybe won't challenge them as much That's as someone absolutely who is ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> maybe who won't challenge them as much as someone who is very accomplished, and especially if they're more accomplished or more intelligent or. Uh, funnier than than they are. So I think that, especially for a lot of the women who have advanced degrees and who are really excelling in their career, this can feel um, this can feel like we are punished for just kind of surviving and thriving in our fields. And it's it's really difficult. It's it's really hard, especially if we wanted to be married at 22 and we just were kind of like thrown out into the world and we're like, all right, well, I guess I'll just do this career thing. And it actually ended up going okay for us. And now we're like, oh, so now not only is this not really something I wanted, but it's also something that I'm, I'm being punished for. Um, it's like enough against me and on the dating profile. So it's, it's a really weird thing to try and navigate um, with men is this, this intimidation thing. But I think this question is much more interesting with you guys on the other end because you're two single dudes. <laughs> right. This is, so this is actually what I was going to ask you then. So um, what, A, what would you like for guys to know then about that? Because you're a very accomplished person. You're somebody who, you know, you have a master's degree. Now you've, you've written a book. Um, you do all sorts of really cool stuff with, with writing and all that stuff. What okay? So what would you want men then to know that that you know? Hey, this isn't actually what it is. This is just on paper what you think. So uh, that's the first part. So what would you like men to know? And then two, what 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 is it that men can do to to begin to 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 shift away from that? Like I'm just curious, like from a woman's perspective, what you would like to them to know, and then how we can how we can shift away from that? Because listen single dudes that are listening, you want to make everything as streamlined as possible to be able to cash in. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, wait a second. I have a question because is it, is there any validity to what I'm saying? To what? About, uh, about fearing women who are intimidating? Yeah. Uh, it, Caleb, you're taking that one, man. <laughs> I ain't even going there. Um, yeah, I, I think that can definitely be true. I mean, I've heard from a lot of my friends and stuff like that. Honestly, my perspective is and kind of how I'm wired. Um, I want someone to challenge. I want someone to challenge me, and I want someone who continues to push. You know, pushes me to be better and challenges me. And you know, the same can happen as I can push her to be better. I can push her to, and challenge her as well. And so, I mean, those are kind of my thoughts on it. See, and I, the way I think about it, I guess, is 
I want somebody to challenge me until it comes to like my sandbox, my sandbox things, right? So like the things that I've always kind of like as – and these – by the way, these are ingrained like things that I've, I guess a lot of men are taught their whole life. Here's where it would – I would – here's where I would start to like struggle with it and I have to really work on it is I – from the time I was 15 years old, I've always had my own money and, and a job. And it, like the moment that, that somebody else was speaking into that, I would have a problem. And so if somebody – if I were to, to marry somebody – and and that was something that would start to happen. It was because you know she was successful. Successful. She was making as much or mo more money than me. That might be an area I think where I'd go. Ooh, this is different. That would be where I would struggle with it. Outside of that, I think that I, I think I would be okay as long as she didn't try to con like you know intimidate and control and tell me what to do when it comes to Netflix because that is a deal breaker. <laughs> Straight sure. deal breaker. Of course. Can you tell what I do with my spare time, everybody listening? Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the question was, what what would I actually want them to know about, yeah. like, if I was labeled an intimidating woman? What would you want them to know? And then and then also, um, how can they begin to change their – like, how, okay, they think this. How can they begin to change to get to a spot where they're okay with women who are, you know, strong um, – who are successful on their own, how can they begin to shift if they're in a spot where they're not comfortable with that? Yeah. So I feel like first one's easier. Um, I would say that what I would want you to know is that, well, um, this, this, this one's, I said it was easier. I lied. Uh, I, I will say that I will speak for me and that this is really different from a lot, a lot of the people gave. So for me, um, most of my success things, like the book, whatever, you know, a lot of my like bylines, whatever, I don't care about a lot of the like things that I've accomplished. Like those things I'm like, well, whatever. They are not super important to me. Um, as far as like, I'm super fancy. And so I think that the intimidation thing is really funny and kind of ridiculous then and um and so I'm always like this is it doesn't feel what the whatever metric is being used doesn't feel fair <laughs> and uh and it doesn't feel like I can do anything you know it's like what you whatever whatever piece of paper you're using I'm like yeah but like that just happened I don't know um so it's sort of like I just want you to like throw that away and just talk to me because I'm just a normal person um so I think that's mine but a lot of the girls were like if you can't handle me you don't need to be with me and I just want a man who can put up with me and I I totally get that too um so while I would try and reason with them and be like no I'm super cool and approachable you want to talk with me um other other women were were more likely to just be like you know what if you can't put up with this screw you so uh that that's also an approach that can be that can be taken <laughs> um so the other question which is how can men fix themselves yes and and tell us how to fix ourselves work. yeah how can you how can you fix yourself before you hurt yourself uh i do think honestly that part of it I don't, I don't know if this is fair. I do think part of it is insecurity, which we all have. That is, that is, um, that is ludicrous. 
I I'm just saying, if you feel if you feel upset about your Netflix queue, you gotta Listen. take a look at you. Listen. And this is my life. <laughs> my life you're talking about. <laughs> I, uh, I, I will second that, and I'll jump on my soapbox. <laughs> oh, yes. Of everything that's right. I mean, honestly, I think I think part of it is just. Uh, us men getting over ourselves a little bit and surrounding ourselves with strong women. Um, because honestly, I think part of it is because we've never put ourselves in a position to where we've had to be around other people besides, you know, strong, particularly white men. Um, I mean, and honestly, that's part of the reason why, you know, I've grown up, like I've grown up with strong strong-willed women in my life and that's why i've become more comfortable with it so guys surround yourself with strong women and i think it is part of insecurity too and but i think we just got to get over it and on the opposite side of that see i wasn't and so for me it wasn't until i got into college where i first started running into these women who who really did change uh it would they would inject and i was like whoa i'd freak out and i'd be like oh my gosh i didn't even know this was a thing and so, right. I didn't know women spoke. Oh my goodness. Not that they spoke. Clearly, they speak. Duh. But like, you know, the first time I started really being exposed to feminism and, and some of these ideas, and then the first time that I, you know, I remember growing up in a Baptist church with everything sometimes that can be connected with that, and and then I come to a liberal arts Christian college, and and some of the things I was exposed to. It's an adjustment, and so I, I guess the thing that I think of when I think of you know what can men um, do is what Caleb said, obviously, and what you said as well, Joy Beth. But also being being okay with saying, okay, right now this is difficult for me. This is something mm-hmm. I'm not good at, and that's okay. So maybe I don't need to go out and try to become uh, the best friend of somebody in this fraternity, um, who they're you know. Burning bras and marching down the street, like maybe that's not the level I need to go to, but maybe maybe it's something I can read about, maybe it's something I learn about, and then again, yeah, I can start surrounding myself with with people who are who are different. And I think that's the approach that I took, and now I'm best friends with all sorts of people who who are like that, who who do they 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 make me better, they make me think differently about dating and about um, about women, just in general, not even for not even for dating purposes, but just. About women in general. Are there times where you're still uncomfortable with a like particularly um, quote unquote intimidating woman? No, now I just make fun of them. <laughs> the healthy I'm way kidding. to go with it, really. I'm kidding. No, I, I, you know, I haven't been around anybody who is real extreme. I should say, like, there's nobody that's like, you know way out there but there i do i do every once in a while i'll hear an idea or something and i'm like huh that's very different than how my brain works um i'll give you an example is um you know the first time when i was working in a church and this was you know probably a couple years ago now and 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 there the idea of a senior pastor who wasn't a, a man was brought up now. Not not that I had anything wrong with it, but it was the first time I ever was presented with the idea that that potentially could happen, and, like in in a church that I would have to work under them. And it and it was it was different. It was very different. I was like, oh, interesting. 
and I got over it pretty quickly, but that would be an example of, of something like that. I'm a terrible person, okay? And you can judge me <laughs> if you want, all right? And now it's on the podcast for everyone else yeah. to know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are, there for me, there are a few times where I'm, I'm insecure around um, strong personality um, women, but I think it, I mean, I honestly, I think it's more because of their, um, just their strong personality, not yeah. necessarily because they're a woman, if that makes sense. Mm, that would be a lot more of what I would fall under today, too, I think. Except you can't for you. steal his good answer. Except, except for you. You, sca- you. you scare me now. I'm scared of you. I'm done with you. Who's interviewing who anyways here? Uh, well, hey, Joy Beth, um, kind of switching gears a little bit. If you were advising someone and they're wanting to make like the most of their singleness, what piece of advice would you give them? And this doesn't have to be life changing advice. And this doesn't have to be. This doesn't have to convert hundreds. Only a few <laughs> dozen. Yeah, I think I would say. Um, that it's okay to grieve and celebrate and that you'll do those like in different percentages at different times. So I think that's what I'd say that and what that expounds to that that's the sentence. That's the thesis. And then what that looks like practically is that I think the single life is full of like, and John Harper at one point said you should grieve you know, the lives that you didn't live, the dreams that you gave, had to give up, you know, and then you wash your face and you move on with your life. And I think it's actually, like, really, really great advice, especially for single people, especially for single people later in life, too, um, where you – there are, like, lots of things that you just have to give up, you know, and, like, maybe it's buying a house because you can afford it as a single person on your own salary, and maybe it's actually, like, having biological kids at a certain point and all of these things, and it's sort of, like, you just – you're going to have to, like, slowly grieve a lot of things in your singleness – um, and I think in order to make the most of it, you have to grieve those things. But also, there are lots of things to celebrate, and and your life is worth celebrating and worth honoring um, on its own, without all of the milestones that come with like marriage and motherhood. So, figuring out that balance of grieving and celebrating, I think it's really really important to to living your best single life now. Oh my lord! <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Did I ruin it? Did I ruin all the good advice? No, you didn't, but you definitely did make me giggle. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, well, hey, one of the things I'm going to ask you the the last really in-depth serious question before we get to some of our our fun uh ending questions. What has singleness taught you? <sighs> I know, right? <laughs> How much time will we got? Uh, just kidding. I wrote a book. It talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Guys, just uh, everybody just needs to buy the book. Just buy the book. 263 pages of lessons. Uh, no, I think that if I had to choose, if I had to like narrow it down. Yeah, narrow it down to like, give me one. If you want, go two. If you want to get really crazy. <laughs> we're all crazy um i think that singleness has taught me um a lot about <sighs> the importance of community um 
to meet needs. And so this, for me, this looks like my immediate family. I actually moved to be closer to my family, uh, to be close to my brother and sister-in-law. And that was a really important move for me um, because I'm, I'm super relational. So I think that, okay, that's a one and a two. So part of it, I think is like singleness has taught me the importance of knowing myself and my needs. And uh, so for me, I wasn't, it's really important for me to, be where I can have deep, meaningful relationships. And so it was either move to where my best friend is or move to where my family is. And so I picked my brother. And so I moved up here to Chicago to be, to live close to him and his wife. And, uh, that was a really important thing for me to do for like my mental health and for community. And so that you have someone to call at 2am when your car breaks down. Um, and so that should be the body of Christ, but I think we're still working out the kinks on how singles fit in the church. Um, especially if you first move somewhere. So I think that, you know, the importance of knowing what you need and the importance of finding a community that meets those needs. Um, I think singleness has taught me that in a huge, huge, huge way. So constantly in every season, kind of figuring out, um, what are my needs and are they being met? And if they're not, they need to get met ASAP. So if, if that's through a therapist, if it's through, you know, like going to the gym, if it's through, you know, whatever new hobby I need to take up, um, just making sure that my needs are getting met because you're the only person responsible for meeting those needs. So making sure that's getting done. You know, as, as we move towards wrapping up, you know, we have a few questions that we always love to ask people. And just kind of the first one is what's one thing that you've started doing recently that has helped you out a lot. So this one's really fun. Um, a friend of mine, Abby asked me this the other day and I've started doing it, especially in book launch season, which is really terrifying and stressful. Self-care is a buzzword, and it's used, I think, so much that it's lost its effect. Um, but I started asking, instead of like, what does self-care in this look like? I've started asking, what's the kindest thing I can do for myself in this situation? Mm. And okay. yeah, I know. And it's actually, because um, self-care, I, I never really understood like the full implication I think of this I think that this is actually the same thing but asking this question has helped me decide a lot of things in my life so what's the kindest thing I can do for myself in this situation um has has been a little bit of a, of a light bulb for me I love that me too I that's like I'm gonna use that now like wow. <laughs> I'm like I have it on sticky notes like at work in my car and at home Wow. Okay, I'm going to use that. Well, hey, how do you learn best? Okay, so if we were in class, I would want to sit on the front row, and I would be the girl who talks a little too much. Shocking, I know. I would answer too many questions until the teacher probably said, you're done for the day. And then ideally, if I could get a transcript of the class and read back through it, because I'm actually like a visual learner, but I really need to be engaged. So I like really want to like ask questions and read at the same time, but you can't do that if you're reading. No one's there to ask questions to. So... I really want to be like in the front row asking questions, and then I want to read through the transcript of the class. Caleb, you just got a tra- you just literally got an insight into my into my college days, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. Oh, uh, and just one question that we always love to ask people is, what are you learning right now? Uh, so this is not serious. This is well, it is serious to some people. It depends on who you ask. I am learning a ton about tennis. 
because the Australian Open is right now. Yes. I'm getting a crash course into tennis and Roger Federer. And um, I've never I've never learned so much about a sport I had no idea about in my whole life. There's so, <laughs> there's so much to know. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. And it's cool. Well, Joy Beth, we've enjoyed talking with you so much today. If uh, people want to pick up your new book, Party of One, or learn more from you, how can they best do that? Okay, so the book website is partyofonethebook.com. Curveball on the website name, I know. And you can find me, all my handles are the same, JB's Two Cents, so J-B-S-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S, or my website, joybethsmith.com. So all of that, you can find me. You can also just Google it, and it'll pop right up. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Caleb, great conversation. What is your takeaway from our talk with Joy Bethsmith? I think one of my takeaways from it is just the idea that singleness is more than just a season. Mm. You know, sometimes I think that singleness, you know, just as Joy Beth was talking about, it's something that we almost kind of feel like we have to endure or Mm. I'm going to get through singleness. And really, singleness can be so much more than that. And it's, it's, it's something that we we need to take advantage of. We need to make the most of it. Instead of trying to endure it, we need to make the most of it. Yeah, and I think the other piece um, that goes to on the side of, of married folks is this idea um, that we're not less than. Right, like that we have a disease, like we're a leper or something like that until we get married. Or it's it's the same thing, right, that people do with, with students or with kids. And they're like, you know, when you grow up one day, you'll finally be able to and then fill in the blank. Well, for a lot, a lot of times, you know, single folks get treated like, well, when you finally get married, then like our life will finally start. And, and I, and it's just not true. And I think she, she did, does a great job of highlighting that in the book. And she did a great job of talking about that in our conversation. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of the Learner's Corner podcast, the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. We use Overcast. You might use uh, the Apple podcast app or Google Play or tune in, or, or just go to iTunes. Or some of you might just listen on the platform that we use called Simplecast. Yep. Whatever it is, subscribe to that pot. Subscribe on that podcast app. It's the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of our episodes. And we have some great episodes coming up with you over the next several weeks. So the best way to make sure you don't miss them is by subscribing on iTunes. If you learned something from this video, or from this video, from this podcast. Hit us up on social media. Our Twitter is at Learners Podcast on Instagram, The Learners Corner, or on Facebook. Let us know what you're learning. Take pictures. Let us know what you're learning and tag us in it, whether it be from this episode, previous episodes, or just stuff that you're learning currently right now. We might not have videos yet, but we do have swag. So at us, we'd love to hear from you. Um, And also check out the show notes from Caleb Mason. He does the show notes. Yep, you can get Joy Smith, Joy that, Beth Smith's book there. You we're getting get, it together, guys. It's you can fine. get check out the Learner's Corner podcast recommendation of the week or anything else. That's that all you there. Might be interested in. Caleb J. Mason does them. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Don't forget if this podcast has helped you in any way, leave us a rating and write a review of this podcast. It's the best way that you can help us out and help us spread the conversation, help people continue to learn and continue to grow. So until next time, I'm Caleb Mason. I'm Todd Ixenbaugh. Until next time, keep learning and keep your eyes.